All right. It's always our prayer that the Lord will inhabit the praises of his people. Because when God shows up, when his glory is manifest, healing occurs. I was praying for people in our body who are sick. We heard about God ministering to Jewel, our drummer Kyle, coming through some sickness in his family. But also Dr. Joe Ozine, one of the elders, we got a text yesterday that his mother had a heart attack. So we want to remember her. I believe she's in Houston, Texas. And Joe is a mama's boy. So we know that it is affecting him. And being a doctor, I know he wishes he could be there with her and for her. But we thank God that he's omnipresent. Dr. Joe doesn't have to be there, but Dr. Jesus is. And he's able. Amen. Amen. We give God praise. And based on what Dr. Joe shared with the elders this past week as pertains to what the medical profession is seeing pertaining to the virus and the um, Omicron variant, he sees that there has been a break that is happening. Although the variant is still present, the numbers are going down. So therefore, the elders and I, we decided that in March, we're looking to go back to our full programming on Sunday morning where we offer children's ministry um, at 9 o'clock and at 10.30, student ministry being offered at 9 o'clock, adult quote-unquote Sunday school class will be offered at 9 o'clock, and then on Wednesdays, we're going to make our way back into the building to be able to gather, um, still wearing masks, um, still washing our hands, but we're, we're going to make our way progressively back to gathering, and we'll continue to have, where we can, a video component for those who may not be able to come, that we'll still do our best to um, project those Bible studies and classes where we can online. So we're making moves. We were going to do this in January, but we couldn't. And so we've continued to do what we've been doing. And so, again, we're looking at the forecasts of where we're going. So I just want to let you know how things are going to be coming in the future. Also, um, I want to praise God for a newly paved parking lot. Amen. Amen. At this time, there are no potholes out in our parking lot. Amen. All right. We thank God for that. And then I want to thank God also for all the people, all the workers who showed up yesterday to pack the boxes, unpack the boxes, prepare the boxes, deliver the boxes for our food bank distribution ministry. I want to thank God for all of you. Can we give it up for our workers who showed up yesterday? We were able to serve and pass out 70 boxes in the community and for those who drove up we, we, we had people come by and we took them out to the Edge Hill community where we served during Bless Fest. Many of the elderly there. And so again praise God because the um, the impact of a church is not found out found in how many people come on a Sunday morning. It's how many people serve Jesus in the kingdom of God. That's the impact of a local church. So we're going to be doing this again on March the 12th. So we want to make sure that there are families who are stocked going into spring break because so many children rely on meals from schools. And so there'll be a week where uh, there may be a food desert kind of a shortage for some families so we want to make sure that we can do our part so we'll be back out again March 12th we'll keep you informed on that also um, this being Black History Month and the things that I'm preaching um, some of the things I'm preaching are found in this book that I wrote many years ago called One But Not The Same 
this book also tells the tells the story of Strong Tower Bible Church, how we got started, and and it just drops a few nuggets along the way. And so we have these books in the foyer right here. Um, so go by and get one if you don't have one. If you don't have ten dollars, we'll bless you, and then we'll wait for you to bring the money back next week. Um, <laughs> no, uh, but yeah, they're there. Also, um, I didn't get to say this last week, but Tamika Collier is responsible for these lovely decorations on the stage. So can we thank God for that young lady? Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, let me pray. Turning your Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 2. There's a word for you. You don't have to be black to get a word from God during Black History Month. Okay? There's a word for us here. And when I talk about marriage today, you don't have to be married to get a word from God. God speaks. Let's pray. Daddy, thank you for the privilege of worshiping you. We get to worship you. We even get to come into your house, those of us who can, those of us who are able. We thank you, Lord, that we are not only alive, but we are alive in Christ Jesus. And it's in you that we live and that we move and that we have our being. Father, as you teach us now in your word, would you touch us? Would you not just give us new thoughts to entertain? that has its place, but I pray that we will hear truths that will transform our lives, the way in which we conduct ourselves. Lord, as usual, will you operate through this broken vessel? I thank you for your grace. I thank you for the spiritual gifts that you've given me. But Lord, it's so up to you. Would you touch your people now? And may we leave this place better than how we've come. In Jesus' name I pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. That B3 sure sound good, don't it? Uh-huh. Oh, that's that sound right there. Don't mess with that now. Y'all better be happy I can't sing. But oh, uh, one day. Oh, there it is right there. <laughs> oh, see, Mike? Go ahead, Mike. Well, let's see what happens at the end of this sermon. Maybe, maybe some gravy will come after we give some of this meat. <laughs> this morning, I want to talk about the preacher's wife. I'm not talking about Whitney Houston. I'm not even talking about Dorena Williamson. I'm talking about another preacher's wife this morning, and that is Zipporah, the wife of Moses, the man of God, the wife of Moses, the great liberator. Zipporah, the wife of Moses, the one who led the exodus of the children of Israel out of Egypt, Zipporah. As we're going to see today, that Zipporah is described as being an Ethiopian. Two times the Bible says that she is an Ethiopian. Or in other words, she is a Cushite. Or in other words, she is... Hamitic, or in other words, she is African, or in today's America, she would be classified as a black woman. So I know somebody is saying, Pastor, what, why you got to talk about color? Why you got to focus on the fact that she was black? Well, for the fragile amongst us, I'm talking about what she looked like and what her ethnicity or her so-called race was because the Bible talks about her ethnicity and her race. So when I talk about these things, I'm staying within the context and confines of Scripture. 
because who we are and how God made us and how he's crowned us with glory is nothing to be ashamed about. It is something to praise God and thank him for that we are fearfully and wonderfully made no matter what history has tried to do against us and our ancestors. So we are proud to be who we are. So in our series, Unwrapping Black Presence in the Bible, today I want to focus on the subject of the gift of Moses' black wife. She's a gift. She's a present. She was definitely a gift and a present to Moses, and I believe she can be a gift and a present to us as well as we unpack her story in Scripture. Now, love is in the air. And this is Valentine's Eve. Tomorrow's Valentine's Day. And as Pastor Jerry uh, admonished the brothers and sisters, we're really the brothers. He really didn't admonish the sisters. But to make sure we're on our game for tomorrow. But I'll admonish the sisters right now. Make sure y'all are on y'all game tomorrow. All right? We're not going to be sexist and strong tower. Amen. <laughs> goes both ways. We're going to see that today. <laughs> but Zipporah was a beautiful black woman. Brothers, can you show my rendition of Zipporah on the screen, please? Y'all got a picture of Zipporah? Y'all got it? Did they show it already? Y'all saw her? There she is. Amen. All right. It's an artist's rendering. Love is in the air, and love is a commitment of the will. That's what love is. Love is more than a feeling. Love is a commitment where your will, you make up your mind to make sacrifices for the one being loved. And you know that feelings are important, but feelings are not to dominate. The will dominates when you love someone because you don't always feel uh, the warm and fuzzies with the person that you're loving. But you commit your will and those feelings will come. There are many things that can be said about love. Love is a verb. God is love. Love sacrifices. Love serves. But as we're going to see today, love stands up. If you're loving someone, you're going to stand up for them. If someone loves you, they're going to stand up for you. Love stands up. So we'll see three things today. We'll see how Moses stood up for Zipporah. Secondly, we'll see how Zipporah stood up for Moses. And then thirdly and finally, we'll see how God stood up for Moses and Zipporah. So love is going to stand up because Chris Williamson has and will always stand up for Dorena Williamson. And Dorena Williamson has and will always stand up for Chris Williamson. Because love is going to stand up. In Exodus chapter 2, beginning at verse 15, we see our first point today for Moses stood up for Zipporah. I'll begin reading in chapter 2, verse 15 from the New King James. And the Bible says, when Pharaoh heard of this matter, what matter? A matter that Moses had killed an Egyptian with his bare hands and hid him in the dirt, in the sand. And so when Pharaoh heard about this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. So Moses is a fugitive of justice. Moses was doing what he thought was right to deliver his people from Egyptian bondage, but he was doing it the wrong way. He thought that violence could bring about a great victory. And so he took a man's life who was beating a Hebrew, a Hebrew slave. Now Moses was not a slave. He was in the palace. He had been adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. So he's being raised in the lap of luxury and then one day, when he's around 40 years old, he decides to leave the suburbs and the ivory palace and, and visit the neighborhood. And that's when he begins to see things that burdens him and breaks his heart. And he tries to jump in as a liberator and literally t 
take a man's life. That was the wrong way to do it. He runs from Pharaoh. His adoptive father runs. And he's heading out of Egypt towards the promised land. He doesn't know it yet. And he stops along the Arabian Peninsula at this place called Midian. Midian is between Egypt and between Canaan, the promised land. So he flees this place called Midian. Now, Midian, as we read the scripture, Midian is a descendant of Abraham. Abraham, if you didn't know this, had three wives. Father Faith had three wives. Of course, there was Sarah, but then through a lack of faith, he married Hagar, had a child named Ishmael, and And then when Sarah died, he remarried again, and this was to a woman named Keturah. And Keturah was not only described as his wife in Genesis 25, but also in 1 Chronicles, she's described as a concubine. Not only that, Abraham had several concubines after the death of Sarah. Father Abraham had many wives. We don't have to watch tabloids or read. Man, there's stuff up in here if we read it right. And so he's married to this woman, Keturah, and she gives him six sons. Now, remember, homeboy's body was almost dead when he was able to impregnate Sarah that they might have Isaac. So God hooked him up with a special kind of strength that couldn't be found in a blue pill. There are men right now praying, Lord, would you touch me the way you touch? Anyway, um, so he marries, has concubines, and a wife named Keturah. She gives him six sons. One of them is named Midian. Now, he sends Keturah and those six sons east so that they could be away from Isaac because it's in Isaac that the seed is called. Now, the the question is, what ethnicity or what tribe, what nationality did Keturah belong to? Well, evidence would state that Keturah was very much like Hagar. Hagar was an Egyptian. She was a Hamite, an African, because Egypt is in Africa, amen? And Keturah, more than likely, was also a Hamite a descendant of Ham, that she was also a woman of color, a black woman, an African woman, when you look at her descendants coming down through Jethro and then Zipporah. So what we have here, when God changes Abram's name to Abraham, Abram is the exalted father, but Abraham is the father of many nations. And so he fulfills that destiny from God to be the father of many nations by marrying Hamitic women, Abraham. And so you have with Ishmael, you have a group of people who are part Semitic and part Hamitic. And they are what we would call the Arabic people today in the world, who would then eventually, one of their descendants would turn to Islam, uh, uh, Muhammad, on and on and on. And we know the friction between uh, the sons of Muhammad in Ishmael and Isaac and the Israelites that's still going on today. Read a little bit about that in scripture. And then there's this other Hamitic woman named Keturah. So one of her sons, Midian, lands in this place not far from Africa on the way to the promised land, which was also inhabited by Africans and Canaanites. Midian, this land here between Egypt And between the promised land, Moses sits down by a well. And then verse 16 says, now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. And they came and drew water and they filled the troughs to water their father's flock. So so there's a priest in Midian. Again, we're going to find out who this priest is. This priest is in verse 18, Ruel. And his name Ruel means friend of God. Ruel, Elohim, friend of, of God. But he also has another name, Jethro. 
And Jethro means excellence or preeminence, speaking of a, a, a level of royalty about him. And so this man, Ruel, Jethro, is a priest in Midian. So what this says is that there were worshipers of God before Israel was able to establish a covenant with God and directives from God on how to approach him. Let me back up and say it this way. Before there was an Aaronic priesthood, Aaron, Moses' brother, establishing the Aaronic priesthood, there were other priests in the land who worshipped God. Uh, uh, Genesis 14 talks about a priest named Melchizedek that uh, Abraham brought a tithe to. And, and so Melchizedek has been pictured as a type of Christ in the book of Hebrews. So there was a priesthood that was going on before the priesthood was established with Israel. Because God wasn't going to wait for a priesthood through Aaron in order for people to worship him in spirit and in truth. And so there were people worshiping God who knew God apart from the system of Israel. And we see here this black man, this African man, was a priest of God. In Exodus chapter 18, it's going to be clear that he has a relationship with God when he gives Moses wisdom. So what we see here is not only did God work through another priesthood, but also we see that the Jews did not invent monotheism, the worship of one God. We know that Many uh, nations worship many gods, polytheism. They would worship created things in the sun and all of those kinds of things. But we see evidence here in scripture that Hamitic people not only worship God, but they knew him as the one true and living God. And so Abraham, who is running for his life, God is able to order his steps and have him go to a specific place and a specific well in order to run into some shepherdesses whose daddy is a man of God. I just want to let somebody know your steps are ordered today. You may feel like things are out of order. You may feel like you don't know where you're going. You don't know if you're coming or going. But God still knows how to hit a bullseye with a crooked stick. He still knows how to have some divine appointments, hookups for you. Because your steps are ordered. So he's there, and these seven daughters come out. They come to draw water, and they fill the troughs to water their father's, father's flock. So again, these are shepherdesses. Then verse 17, then the shepherds came and drove them away. So there were some uh, chauvinistic, misogynistic shepherds in that day who saw these uh, ladies with their flock, their daddy's flock, and they drove them away. So we see that there's discrimination at the well. Women were being mistreated at the well. Women couldn't be shepherds like men at the well without some man being threatened by them and driving them away. But I got to read the next part. It says, but Moses stood up. You got to see that right there. But Moses stood up and helped them and water the flock. And that's what I want you to see about love. Love stands up. He stood up for some strangers. He stood up because it was the right thing to do. He stood up because he saw discrimination. And he also stood up because one of those seven girls caught his eye and she was fine as all get out. Come on, go with me now. I wish I could go back into the story of Jacob because when he was at the well and he saw Rachel, who was also a shepherdess, he's lifting rocks and stuff off of the mouth of the, uh, of the well because and, and, men are going to show off when they can. They're going to do what they can. And so homeboy stands up. He's one dude against shepherds. But when there's love at first sight, love will give you superhuman strength to stand up because it was in Moses' nature to stand up against injustice. He stood up earlier in Exodus for one of his own people. He did it the wrong way, but he stood up for him. 
Then he's going to stand up against Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, and tell him, God said, let my people go. He was afraid at first, but God endowed him with power and said, come on, man, you got to do this. And now we see him standing up for Zipporah and her six sisters. Now, it's in his nature to do this, to stand up. That's who he is. And if he were to take the Enneagram today, Moses would be an Enneagram 8, which is a challenger protector. And here are the characteristics of an Enneagram 8. They are self-confident, protective, justice-oriented, strong, heroic, inspiring, decisive, and assertive. That's an Enneagram 8. That's Moses. That's also your pastor. (laughs) I'm an 8. I'm an eight. I can't get away from that. It's in my bones. But there's a downside to being an eight. And that is eights are egocentric. They can be controlling. They can be intimidating. And they can have a short fuse where they can get angry real quick. Now, none of that stuff is me. <laughs> Used to be me. Uh, <laughs> but we know Moses could snap on you. He was a humble dude, but don't cross him because he put them hands on you. But what you got to see is that Moses was an advocate. He stood up for people who needed help. What is an advocate? An advocate is someone who not only stands up, but there's someone who will show up. They will sign up. They will speak up. And if it's time for money, they will put up. That's an advocate. So he stands up for these sisters. He's a servant leader because he leaves the lap of luxury in Egypt where he's being served. But now he's out here in Midian serving these sisters. He's helping them. And verse 18, when they came to Ruel, their father, he said, how is it that you have come so soon today? And they said, an Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds. And he also drew enough water for us and watered the flock. Do you see that? They said that an Egyptian helped them. Moses was not an Egyptian per se. He was a Hebrew, but he was a child of Pharaoh's daughter. And he lived with them for 40 years. So when they looked at him, he looked like an Egyptian. Was it his clothes? Perhaps, because he had to leave town quickly. He couldn't change. Was it his hairstyle? Was it his accent? Was it the jewelry that he wore? Whatever it was, he looked like an Egyptian, and apparently there wasn't much of a physical difference between what Hebrews looked like back then and what Egyptians looked like. Because later in the book of Acts, the apostle Paul was mistaken for being an Egyptian. And so, in the world at that time, there were a lot of dark people in this part of the world who ranged in color, who could pass for Hamitic, Semitic. Uh, They were in the world, and so they're looking at him and saying, he is an Egyptian. Verse 20, so he said to his daughters, and where is he? Why is it that you have left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. Then Moses was content to live with the man, and he gave Zipporah, his daughter, to Moses. So we see arranged marriages. Somebody said, bring that back. My daddy tried to arrange a relationship for me. Good girl, good girl, good godly girl good girl in our church, but I was not attracted to her. Uh, but my father, I love him. Now, he, nine, nine times out of ten, he was on point. But that one time, homeboy was off. And, uh, and he tried to blackmail me. I said, hey, Dad, can I use the car? He said, only if you're taking out that girl from church that I want you to marry. And I said, well, I guess I'll be walking this evening because... <laughs> But he was trying to arrange. He was trying to arrange. And she's married to a pastor to this day. Great girl, but not for me. 
But man, teenagers, how would you feel if your parents picked the person that you're supposed to marry? Mm, 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 mm. That would be all right, right? I can't get an amen from nobody up in here on that. <laughs> oh, man. But I want you to see that Moses was content to be in Midian. And he would be there for 40 years. And towards the end of the 40 is when a couple of things would happen. He would encounter God at the burning bush. But not only that, he would have children with Zipporah sometimes near the end of that 40-year pilgrimage. And I'll try to explain that in a moment. The Bible says in verse 22 that when he had a son, that she bore him a son, he called his name Gershom. For he said, I've been a stranger in a foreign land. When you read chapter 2, it looks like they got married, then they quickly had a son. Well, he hadn't been in the land that long to know he was a stranger in the land. He would be there for many years. And then when they have Gershom, he's going to say, man, I've been a stranger in this land. I'm away from my people who are in Egypt. But God is going to come and say, it's time to go back to Egypt. So let's go now to point number two and turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 4. Moses stood up for seven ladies, one of them in particular, Zipporah. Ruel, Jethro says, I'm going to give you my daughter in marriage. He marries her. They end up having a son. And now we're going to see how she stood up for Moses because that's what love does. It says in verse 18 of chapter 4, So Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. So again, after 40 years, he's there in that land, but he can't get out of his memory his people who are still in bondage. And like Nehemiah, he wants to go back to see about his people. He's just not going to live in freedom and enjoy himself. He knows his brothers and sisters are hurting. So Jethro says to Moses, go in peace. Verse 19, now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go return to Egypt for all the men who sought your life are dead. Speaking of Pharaoh, his stepfather, they're dead. This reminds you of when uh, Joseph is leading his family and takes them into Egypt, into Africa baby Jesus and Mary, and then this, the angel comes and says, the people who were trying to kill the child are dead. It's time to go back. And so the Lord is saying to him, Moses, it's time for you to go back. I know you were content in this land and content in this lifestyle, but there's more for you. I was teaching you some things on the backside of this desert, working with these sheep. I was teaching you some things on how to love a woman, love a wife. Now it's time for you to get up and go back. So your calling now is manifesting, and God can interrupt any of our lives at any time. I hope that we're content no matter what place we're in, whether we're single, whether we're married, whether we're working in the mainstream or we're in the ministry, whatever the case, when God says, I want you to get up and go, we will go. Verse 19, now the Lord said to Moses, Midian, go return to Egypt for all the men who sought your life are dead. Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey. So they have another son now. Uh, from later readings, this is Eliezer, whose, whose name means God is my help. So he has Gershom, which means stranger here. And now he has Eliezer, God is my help. He sets them on a donkey. And the reason why I believe that Gershom was born near the end of his 40-year period is because you don't set no 40-year-old man up on a donkey. You set a child up on a donkey. And then the Bible says, and he returned to the land of Egypt. So again, very much like Joseph walking with Mary and baby Jesus or, or the toddler Jesus, they're going back to Egypt. But in this case, uh, uh, Jesus was going back to Palestine Moses is going back to Egypt with his wife and two children. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. Verse 21, and the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. And it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him 
and sought to kill him. Wait a minute, what's going on here? What does this verse mean? I don't know. But God was upset with Moses. And God was ready to take Moses out of here. We don't know how God spoke to him to say, I'm about to kill you. But whatever the case was, the Bible says the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Then, verse 25, then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he, God, let him go. Then she said, you are a husband of blood to me because of the circumcision. Oh, we're reading into it a little bit more now. Why was God seeking to kill the future liberator and emancipator? Why? Because Moses obviously was not handling his duties at home as a father. Pastor, what are you talking about? Circumcision was given to Abraham as a sign of the covenant that God was making with Israel, his people. And that sign at this time did not go away because of captivity in Egypt or Moses living his best life in Midian. Apparently, he circumcised Gershom, but he was slipping on his duties and not circumcising Eliezer. And God is like, I am not going to have somebody on the big stage talking about let my people go, but you can't handle duties at home with your children and your wife. Because I'm no respective persons, and Moses, you need to get this right. We got enough preachers who are on stages whose homes and whose lives are raggedy and who are inconsistent with the stuff they preach. So God says, I'm going to take you out. But Zipporah, his helper, his rib, stood up for Moses against God. Moses stood up against some shepherds. She stood up and in the gap against God. And did what he was supposed to do. And that is to circumcise their young child. She did his job. And then she cast the foreskin at his feet and said, you are a husband of blood to me. Says it twice. Men, has your wife ever said something to you twice? When you done messed up with something. I told you I'd get off at 7. Why did you get here at 7.30? I told you I get off at seven. These are not conversations that happen in our house. But when your wife repeats herself, she's a little hot with you. God stayed his hand against Moses because Zipporah stepped up, stood up, and did what Moses should have done. But the bottom line is there was blood that saved Moses' life. Ladies, when your man is in a bad place, a rough place, a hard place, maybe even a backslidden place, before you jump on God's side and say, yeah, God, get him, maybe, just maybe, you can try to stand in the gap for your man and help him so that he does not uh, uh, become the product of his own bad choices and, and a moment of lunacy. What can you do to help him live as opposed to hoping that he dies? How can you help him? You know him. You lay down with him. You know the brother's strengths and weaknesses. And she said to Moses, you are a husband of blood to me. Now, what's going to happen in this passage is that according to Exodus chapter 18, Moses sends Miriam and their two sons back to Jethro. So, so after this moment of intense fellowship right there at the encampment, because every marriage goes through intense fellowship, even the preacher and his wife, they had decided, baby, you just go on back home. Let me finish this up and go do this thing by myself, uh, uh, and I'll see you on the other side of the Red Sea. I'll see you over there, baby. You go on back to Jethro, take the boys, and I'm going to go. Be, and besides... I think this is going to be a dangerous mission. And I don't want anything to happen to you. You go on back because if God is going to take me out, and he didn't already told me he's going to deal with Egypt, God is no one to be played with. Baby, you, you go on back. And so she goes back. But then thirdly and finally, 
God is going to stand up for Moses and Zipporah. Let's conclude in Numbers chapter 12. Love is going to stand up. Moses stood up for her. She stood up for Moses. Let's stand up for the people that we love. But now we're going to see our strong tower, what he does, how he's going to stand up for us. Chapter 12, verse 1 says, Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. They're speaking against him. Why? He's been gone for 40 years. And then he shows up after all the miracles and they get through the Red Sea and they're on their way to the promised land. He gets his kids and his wife back from Jethro. This is the first time that Miriam and Aaron meet his wife and his children. And he shows up to the picnic, to the barbecue with a black woman. Like, no, no, you've been gone for 40 years. And you're going to show up married to a black woman, not a Hebrew woman. Oh, there was some talk going on. There was some talk going on. But if you read the text, Miriam is leading the discussion because her name is listed first. Miriam and Aaron. And Aaron has always been a follower. So Miriam is instigating this. She has a problem with Zipporah. Why? Because Miriam is a prophetess. And now the pastor shows up with a wife. And Miriam is like, that means she's going to unseat me as the primary female spokesman and leader to the community. And so she is jealous and threatened of the presence of Zipporah, Moses' wife. So she speaks out against her by saying she's black. But that wasn't the real issue because the Bible says, let me read on. So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? There it is. The issue is who's speaking, who's leading? We're going to use her race as a symptom, but the real problem is power. And Miriam is threatened by this new lady. Ladies, have you ever been threatened by a new lady on the job? Have you ever been threatened by a new lady who comes into the family? Men get threatened by other men, so I guess women can get threatened by women. And Miriam acts a fool for a second here. But God is going to stand up because the Bible says in verse 2, and the Lord heard it. So you're talking all this smack. You're talking about this black woman. Ain't done nothing to you. But you're coming against her. And so the Bible says God heard it. And what's God going to do? He's going to stand up for the man and the woman that he ordained to be together. Verse 3, now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who are on the face of the earth. That's a parenthetical comment. Moses said, let me just slip this in while I'm writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So y'all know that I, I am a humble dude. I'm not going to snap on my sister because he's the youngest of the three children. Aaron is the oldest, then there's Miriam, then there's Moses. She's the one that rescued him out of the Nile and gave him to Pharaoh's daughter. So that's her little brother. And she thinks she could talk any old way to him, but he is the pastor. You got to watch who you put your mouth on. Because God heard it. And Moses said, I'm humble now. I'm humble. I'm going to let God fight my battle here. For, the Bible says, verse 4, suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. The Lord came down in the pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both went forward. Then he said, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly, not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? 
So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and he departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous, as white as snow. Then Aaron turned toward Miriam, and there she was, a leper. So Aaron said to Moses, oh, my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us in which we have done foolishly and in which we have sinned. So again, why weren't they both turned leprous? Because Miriam was instigating this episode. And God is going to discipline her for that. Oh, oh, you got a problem with black skin? Well, we're going to turn your skin the direct opposite and make it whiter than white. Leprous. And you're going to have to sit outside the camp thinking about what you did for seven days. Now, what's interesting about this passage is Moses is going to pray for her. Aaron is interceding for her. Everybody's speaking up for Miriam but Miriam. Miriam is silent. She's not saying she's sorry. She's not asking for help. She's still got an attitude. She's silent. But God stood up for them. So I want you to see that love always takes a stand. Love is going to stand up. Moses stood up for the woman who would be his wife. Zipporah stood up for her husband when he was about to die. And then God stood up for this couple where they didn't even have to say a word. Moses didn't speak. Zipporah didn't speak. God did all the speaking. In other words, God will fight your battles. He will handle your enemies. You don't have to take vengeance in your own hands. Because if you're doing it right, you will have some haters. People will look at you. They will judge you. They will say things that are not correct, and they'll start rumors. They'll spread things. They'll try to put you down to lift themselves up. But that's when we stand still and watch the salvation of the Lord. So as we head into Valentine's, how can I stand up for my mate? That's a basic question. How can I stand up? It might mean meeting his or her love language if you're married. Doing the things that they like, not necessarily the things that you like. Standing up for them. It also means standing back sometimes and letting your mate, your spouse, shine. I know I'm out of time. I know I'm over, but the game ain't till later, so y'all be all right. In our marriage of 30 years, I'm the one that is usually out front. I'm the one that's usually on the stage. I'm the one that's doing this and doing that. But these past three, four years, my wife has been developing her own platform that God has given her. And I told her, I said, babe, I'm so proud of you. I'm cheering for you. I'm your number one fan. When you go to the airport, I'm glad to drop you off. If I travel with you, I will carry your bags. I will set everything up because it's your time. And there's no speaker, writer out here that is better than you in gifts and talents. Lord, Doreen, you're as good as anybody. And, babe, I pray God just continues to expand your territory to get this message out because you have a way. You need to speak. People need to hear you. They need to read your right. I'm stepping back in this season, and I'm cheering my wife on. Some spouses compete with each other, and they're jealous when one starts to shine more than the other, and it's usually the men. And we're so domineering, we're so insecure that when our wife gets a promotion, when our wife gets a raise, when our wife gets an opportunity, there's a little bit of hater in us. Come on, brothers, don't be so insecure. Man, she's your crown. When she looks good, you look good. When she's doing well, you do well. So sometimes love, when it stands up, it'll stand back. Sometimes it'll stand down. Moses and his wife had some intense fellowship Chris and Dorena have some intense fellowship. And the Holy Spirit be saying, stand down. Humble yourself, bruh, before I do it. You'll die for her, right? Yes, Lord. Then die to your flesh in this argument. 
and apologize. Stand down. And then sometimes love, when it stands up, it'll, it'll stand in the gap and pray and intercede and ask God to bless and touch and protect. And then sometimes love will stand against when it stands up. It's going to stand against wickedness, spiritual wickedness in high places. It's going to stand against unrighteousness. So when you stand up, stand up like the one who stood up for all of us. His name is Jesus. He stood up when we couldn't stand for ourselves. He stood up and even took the penalty of our sins on his body. He stood up when he got up from the grave. And he invites all of us in to stand in grace. Father, thank you for this marriage in Scripture of a man standing for his wife, of a wife standing for her husband, and of a God who stands for the couple. Lord, I thank you for how you've stood for me and Darina. You've not only protected us, you've provided for us. You've watched over our children. You've kept them in ways that we can never keep nor watch over them. You've been an awesome shepherd, an awesome God. And Lord, it's my prayer that if there are folks that don't know you, today would be the day of salvation. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, my God. And Lord, for those of us who do know you, for those of us who are in a marriage, Lord, marriage isn't easy. For some of us, Valentine's Day is a hard day because it reminds us of what we don't have, what we used to have, what we think we need. And Lord, it, it, it can trigger a lot of pain and emotion, a lot of distress. Lord, when we're struggling with people in our lives who aren't standing up for us the way they said they would, may we remember the fact that you're always standing for us. Even when Stephen was stoned, he said, I see the Lord Jesus standing in heaven. You, you always stand up for us. So may we put our eyes on you, Lord, the perfect love that you provide that will cast out fear whether we're married or not, whether we're in a marriage that's struggling or a marriage that's succeeding. You stand up for us because you love us. Help us to be like you. Thank you, Lord. It's only possible through the spirit of Jesus Christ operating in us, on us, and through us. Show us how to love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.